So today starts our annual week of prayer. Starting today, going through this next week, we're encouraging all of us here at Grace Church to devote ourselves to prayer, to carve out extra time when we can give ourselves to prayer. We want to be praying together for God to pour out his spirit in a fresh way upon Grace Church. I'm so thankful for all that God is doing in Grace Church and through Grace Church, but I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, there's more. Jesus has more for us. We want to be praying, God, pour out more of your grace upon us. Pour out more of your spirit. We want to pray that we would have deeper love for Jesus Christ, hunger for his word, zeal for his glory. We want to pray that God will be strengthening our marriages and our families, that he'll be deepening our friendships with each other, strengthening, establishing our home groups. We want to pray that God will give us boldness in, in witness so that we can tell people about the Savior. And especially the purpose of all of this is that our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, would be magnified and glorified and honored here in Abu Dhabi. That's what we're praying for this week. Now, there's lots of information about this week of prayer on our website. Pastor Ben's been getting this all organized. Appreciate it so much. Each day, there's going to be a different suggested topic. You don't need to limit yourself to that, but just to give you some help and some suggestions. There's also suggestions for how to pray, so take note of that. All of our home groups this week and all of our men's discipleship groups and women's discipleship groups are going to be focused on prayer and open to, to anyone who wants to part, be part of that. So all that information is on the website. And then tomorrow, we're having a special day of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, if you're not able to fast for whatever reason, that's fine. Join us anyway. But if you can fast, do. We'll be praying and fasting through the day on our own and then meeting here from 2.30 to 4.30 in one of the upstairs rooms. There will be signs to get you there so that we can pray together in smaller groups. And that's going to be a powerful time. Let's be praying for that time. Now, if you aren't able to make it, if you need to be quarantining, if you're online and listening and you need to be quarantining, uh, Earl Palacios, one of our elders, is going to be leading a Zoom... Uh, how's this going to work? A Zoom part of that meeting, right? So you'll be part of that meeting by Zoom. And so, um, and that's going to be online, right? So you can get that information online too. Okay, everything's online, everything. So I want to join, oh, let me, then, so we're fasting and praying tomorrow, and then after the 4.30, the 2.30 to 4.30 gathering, we're going to go and break the fast, which is always a really fun thing to do, at the All Walk to Mall, and just celebrate. But we're, we're going to be starting tomorrow with a day of prayer and fasting to set the tone for the rest of the week then as we continue to pray. So I want to call you to, to join us in this. Give yourself to prayer. I know we all have other responsibilities. There's parenting, there's work, you got to sleep, there's all kinds of other stuff we've got to do. Do those things, but as much as you can, carve out extra time to pray, to seek God's face, to cry out to the Lord to be working. Now, one reason that we're doing this as a church is because the Bible is very clear that whenever God's people commit together to pray, whenever God's people come together to, to pray in unity, God always moves with great power. 
God brings breakthroughs, powerful breakthroughs in our own individual lives, and we're praying for that this week. Lord, bring breakthroughs in our own circumstances and lives. He brings breakthroughs in, in our church. Lord, heal whatever relationships need to be healed. Call new, fresh ministry ventures for us to be pursuing. He brings breakthroughs in individual lives and in churches and in the city. We want to pray for God to bring breakthroughs in the city so that what we pray this week will have a ripple effect through this whole next year. That's what we're praying for. God brings breakthroughs when we gather together to pray. And what I want to do this afternoon is give you one example of that from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Acts 13 brings us to a a turning point in the book of Acts. It's a breakthrough. It's a shift. A big change takes place in chapter 13. And what brings about this breakthrough, this turning point, this shift, is the fact that the believers have come together to pray. But now before we look at Acts 13, I want to set the stage by telling you what's been happening before Acts 13. Let's ask this question. What had Jesus called his followers to do? What had he called them to do? And look at what Jesus says in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is like the theme verse for the whole book of Acts. It gives the outline for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, which is where they are at that point, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So two things Jesus says here. One, you'll be my witnesses. He calls all of his followers to be his witnesses, which means that we're going to be talking to people, sharing with them the the reality that we have all turned our backs on God and walked away from God, our creator, which is what the Bible calls sin. And because of that, we face his judgment forever. But the Bible also says that in great love and compassion, costly, costly love and compassion, God the Father sent his own son, Jesus, to become a man, born as a baby, as we sang about earlier, go to the cross to be punished, to pay for the sins of everyone who will put their trust in him. And so when we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our heart-filling treasure, when we do that, we are reconciled to God. All of our sins are forgiven. And from that point on, we have the, the joy we've been looking for all our lives of knowing God now and forever. So we are witnesses of these things. But now where are we to be witnesses? Where? And Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, throughout Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's what he called his followers to do. So what happened? What did his followers do? A few days later, the gospel started to be spread through Jerusalem. Jesus poured his Holy Spirit out upon them. They went out into the streets proclaiming the mighty works of God. Peter powerfully preached about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and thousands came to faith that day in Jerusalem. The gospel started to be spread throughout Jerusalem. 
Then the gospel started to be spread through Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus said. In this case, though, sadly, it was because of persecution. Stephen preached the truth of Jesus in Jerusalem, and a crowd killed him for preaching. And look at what happens next. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And there arose on that day, that day when, when Stephen was killed, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Then verse 4, now those who scattered went about preaching the word. So persecution spread believers out into Judea and Samaria, and everywhere they went, they were telling people about Jesus. And that's also then how the gospel got spread even further, as we can see in Acts 11, verses 19 and 20. Look at what Luke writes there. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Again, the early church, they were all Jewish at the beginning, so they just kept talking to their, their, their people. But then this next verse, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke, the, spoke to the Hellenists, these are Gentiles, Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So we see the gospel is spreading, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So here's a map. I want you to see, we're going to look at some maps this afternoon. Here's a map which shows what's going on. Now on this map, there you go. Okay, the darker parts, that's the water. Just so we're not confused, the lighter parts is the land. Okay, you can see that. So notice it starts way bottom right. There's Jerusalem, if you can read that. There it is. And then it goes north into, well, first of all, it fills Jerusalem and Judea, which is right there, and then north to Samaria, then a little bit northwest to the island of Cyprus, and then farther north into Antioch of Syria. So up to this point in the book of Acts, through chapter 11, the gospel was spread just like Jesus said it should be, and it was mostly spread through persecution. Believers would get persecuted, and then they would share the word wherever they had to flee. But now look at that map. Look at all the places where the gospel hasn't come yet. All that white part there where there's no, no gospel. How is the good news of Jesus going to get to those places? Is it going to keep happening by persecution or some other way? Some other way. God brings about a breakthrough in the church. He brings about a shaking, a transformation in the church, which launches them on a whole new approach in terms of how to take the gospel out to the farthermost parts of the world. So let's ask, what kind of breakthrough did God bring about? What did he do in Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3, which is, again, it's a turning point in the book of Acts. Everything changes in Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. Look at what we read in these verses. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch, this is Antioch, Syrian Antioch, up north there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who is also called Paul. Verse 2. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now just pause there. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Who is worshiping the Lord and fasting? So commentators are divided on answering that question. Some say it's the, it's the whole church that was worshiping the Lord and fasting, and others say it was these five individuals here. And I think it's these five individuals. Let me give you my reasons why. You do some more thinking about it. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of difference. The principle holds true. When God's people come together and pray, he brings breakthroughs. But the way you know what the word they refers to is you look at the, you go back in the passage to try to find the, the closest noun that would make sense with that word they. And if you take, well, so while they were worshiping the Lord, who would that be? Well, it would be Saul. And it would be Menaean and Lucius and Simeon and Barnabas. So the most natural reading would be to take it as those five leaders in the church. They're the ones who are worshiping the Lord and fasting. So keep reading. Verse 2, while they, those five, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I imagine that the whole church was ultimately involved in this. It wasn't just these five leaders alone. The whole church was involved in sending them off, praying for them. But notice how God brings about this breakthrough. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And probably this was through a gift of prophecy. In the New Testament, we read about a spiritual gift called prophecy. That can be foretelling the future, but not just. It can just be any message that God brings. God can bring a thought into your mind from him, which, when you share it with somebody else, will bring them great benefit, great encouragement. Or when you share it with the whole church, will bring the whole church great building up, great encouragement. So that's what the spiritual gift of, of prophecy is. Now, it's very important to understand that the New Testament gift of prophecy does not have the authority of Scripture. It is to be judged by the Scripture. If what somebody thinks is a New Testament is a gift of prophecy, doesn't fit the Scripture, then that gift was not from God. That's how we can tell. Everything needs to be evaluated by the Scriptures. And when a gift comes, and it's in conformity to the Scripture, and the Holy Spirit confirms it to us, then we know that it's from God, and we move ahead on it. And that's what happened here. God brought a prophetic gift to one of those leaders, and he said, brothers, sisters, I think, brothers, I think they're all brothers. Brothers, God wants to say something to us. He wants us to set aside Barnabas and Saul for a special work that he's given to them. And because that, that fit the word of God, they prayed, God confirmed it to them, they laid hands on them, I think probably the whole church ended up doing this, and sent them off to this ministry. And this was a turning point in the book of Acts. Because from this point on, the church adopts a whole new evangelistic strategy, a whole new missions strategy. Not just persecution spreading believers and they go and tell everybody, that continues to happen, but through an intentional sending of 
teams of people to places where the gospel had never been preached, where that team would be there for months to a couple of years, preaching the gospel to people who'd never heard the good news of Jesus before. God moves, people get saved, people get raised up, trained up, discipled, a church is established, elders are raised up, and then they would leave a church in place and they move on to the next place and do it again and again and again and again. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. From this point on, the church takes on a, a different, more powerful, far more expansive and effective method of advancing the gospel. Now, let me illustrate this by showing you how this happens. First of all, here's the picture we saw earlier where things were at before Acts chapter 13. Remember, before Acts 13, the gospel spread in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, Cyprus, uh, Phoenicia, up into Antioch, and that was mostly by persecution as believers fled and kept sharing about Jesus. But as a result of what happened in Acts chapter 13, the church sent out their first missions team, Barnabas and Saul. That's described in Acts chapters 13 and 14. You can read about what they did. It lasted a couple of years, from 46 to 48 AD. And here's a map of where they went. Look at all these arrows. Don't you love those arrows? Lots of arrows. Um, they, they went from Antioch, okay, which is again, right there in Syria, west to the island, west a little bit down to the island of Cyprus. Amazing what God does in that island. Then north to Pamphylia and up into Galatia, where they preached the gospel and planted churches in another Antioch. This is Antioch in the area of Galatia, Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And then they went back down to Pamphylia and returned to Antioch and shared all that God had done. But I mean, look at, look at that spread from Antioch over there on the, on the uh, left side of the screen. Churches planted, gospel being preached, a team going out to a place where the gospel had never been proclaimed before. And when they leave, there's a church established, another church established, another church established, another church established. But that's just the beginning, that picture there. After that trip, God called Barnabas to go back to Cyprus keep advancing the gospel there. Paul gathered another missionary team and went on a second missionary journey. This is recorded in Acts 16 and 17 and 18. It took place in the years 49 through 51 AD, a couple of years. Here's a picture of what happened on this missions trip. So again, it all starts in Antioch. This is their home base. This is their home church. It starts there in Antioch in Syria. They went through Cilicia, just north and around the corner there to the left, then into Galatia, where he visited the churches he'd already planted in Derby and Lystra and others. Then the Holy Spirit clearly called them to go all the way over to Troas. You see that arrow number three, Troas right there, um, in the Bithynia area to Troas, and then across the water to Philippi, Thessalonica. These names ring a bell, Philippians. First and Second Thessalonians, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, right? First and Second Corinthians, then back over the water to Ephesus, Ephesians. Okay, all these all these names. That's why they're named that. Telling people about Jesus, planting churches, and then back to Caesarea, to Jerusalem, and then North Antioch to report all that God had done. That was Paul's second missionary journey. 
So look at this gospel advance. Church is being planted, but it's still not over. There's another missionary journey. Third one, recorded in Acts 18 through 21. It lasts from 52 to 57 AD. Here's a picture of this one. Again, leaving Antioch and Syria, going through Cilicia to Galatia, visiting all the different churches he'd planted, encouraging them, strengthening them. Then another visit to the church in Ephesus, up north to Assos, over to Philippi in Macedonia, south to Corinth in Achaia, then back around and down the coastline. That's modern-day Turkey right there, where he's coming back down those arrows there. Again, visiting churches he's planted, cross the water to Tyre, Caesarea, and Jerusalem, where his trip ended. So Acts 13 marks a shift, a turning point in how the church pursued the spread of the gospel. It's a breakthrough in the life of the church. The gospel had been spreading slowly up to that point, not so much intentionally, but mostly simply by persecution. But from this point on, the Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. Missions teams, missionary journeys, going to places where the gospel's never been proclaimed, planting churches, advancing the gospel, bringing glory to Christ. And that's what they did. And that's how the gospel got spread all through modern-day Turkey and in modern-day Greece. And ever since, God has used what happened in Acts, Acts 13 and the rest of the book, to help the church understand that's what we're called to do. Send people to places where the gospel has never been preached. Preach the gospel. Raise up believers. Establish a church. Raise up elders. Leave a, a healthy, thriving church in place. Then go on and do it again and again and again. And of course, we're living in a place where most people around us haven't heard the gospel. So we're actually here um, doing what Acts 13 is all about. But ever since this, Acts 13, the church has known this is what God wants us to be doing. And this is the beginning of the modern missions movement, Acts chapter 13. So in Acts 13, God brought about a, a breakthrough in the church at Antioch. So now I want to ask the question, how did this breakthrough happen? Because we long for breakthroughs. We want breakthroughs in our own individual lives. Set free from some area of sin. Just have more boldness to advance the gospel. Some habit you want to break. Just, some, just more of God's presence. Breakthrough in our own individual lives. We want, want breakthroughs in our relationships here. Are there relationships here that need to be, be mended and be restored? Are there, are there ways that, that God has new advances for us to take as a church? Breakthroughs in this city. We want to ask God for breakthroughs. So how did this breakthrough come about? And to answer that, let's read Acts 13 again, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. How did this breakthrough come about? Three things. Worshiping the Lord, 
fasting, praying. That's what they did. And then God did things, but that's what they did. Worshiping the Lord, fasting, and praying. That's how breakthroughs take place. When God's people come together to seek the Lord and worship, to fast, to pray, God brings breakthroughs. So let's, let's talk about each of those three one at a time. Let's start with worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. What does it mean to worship the Lord? It's not just singing songs. It is that, but it's much, much more. Worship is not mostly a horizontal thing. Like, I like that song, and you know, we're, we're hearing each other sing, and this is just good to be together singing. All that's happening, but mostly worship is vertical. It's between you and the living God. That's what worship is. We're setting our hearts on him. We're beholding him. We're fixing our minds on the truth of who he is. We're seeking his face. We're asking him to show us his glory. Pour out your spirit. Bring your presence. We're longing for you, God. Mostly, worship is vertical. There's horizontal dimensions, but oh, God, we're here for you. We want you. You're the prize. That's why we come together to worship the Lord. And when we do that, he promises to come and meet us in powerful and personal ways. Why do I say that? One of the reasons is Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Look at this verse. I'd encourage you to memorize. It's a great promise. Hosea 6, 3. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. So that would include worship. Other things besides worship, but certainly worship is a part of that. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. The spring rains were crucial for Israel's crops. Absolutely critical. Without those spring rains coming, the crops would, would shrivel up. It would just shrivel. And the same is true with us and God's presence. Without God's presence, we will shrivel. We need regular times where God pours his presence out upon us, where God touches us with his love, where he reveals his glory to us, where he gives us a taste of heaven. We need regular times where we receive the spring rains, the the presence of God satisfying our thirsty souls. We need that. And he promises, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord as surely as the dawn, as surely as the sun's going to come up tomorrow. When we press in to meet the Lord, he will come to us like the precious spring rains watering the earth. He'll show us his glory. He'll restore, heal our hearts. He'll strengthen our faith. He'll comfort us, those of us who are going through trials. And, as in Acts 13, sometimes he will bring spiritual gifts, like a gift of prophecy. And he will encourage us and comfort us and direct us in that way. So these leaders came together to worship the Lord. We'll be doing that tomorrow. Second, they were fasting. 
Now, I would guess that some of you maybe have never fasted before. And there's, I mean, Jesus does say, when you fast, this is what you do. He doesn't say if. And I would encourage you to, to learn about fasting and make fasting part of your rhythm as a Christian. There's, there's no statement about how often or when. This is between you and the Lord. But Jesus does say when you fast, not, not if. So I would encourage you to pursue this. Fasting in the Bible means abstaining from food for the sake of prayer. Drink lots of liquids during that time, but you're abstaining from food for the sake of prayer. Now, what's the point of that? Why abstain from food? And it's important to understand the points. I mean, if you're like me, tomorrow morning you'll wake up and think, oh, I'm fasting today. <laughs> These days are just not quite as fun, you know. No breakfast. But, but why are we doing this? Focus on the purpose of it. It's not because food is sinful. It's not to lose weight. I mean, fasting, I suppose, can be great for, I, mean, I, I know it is, for, for losing weight. Um, it's not to show how disciplined we are. None of those are the reason why. What is the point? I think there's two. And they're both described in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Look at this verse. This verse has helped me understand fasting. Here's the situation. Ezra is in Babylon, and God has called him to lead some of God's people from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But the road is dangerous. Thieves and robbers on the way. So what does Ezra do? He gathers God's people to fast and pray. And, and look at what we read in verse 21. Ezra writes, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might, here's the first purpose, humble ourselves before our God. That's the first purpose. Second purpose, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. So one purpose of fasting is to humble ourselves before God. And fasting does humble us. When you're hungry, you're not feeling strong and self-sufficient, right? You're feeling weak and wimpy. At least I know I sure am, right? Those are not my best moments. It's like, ugh, right? And it's a powerful reminder of how weak we really are and how desperately we need God. Lord, we are weak. We can't do anything apart from you. And Lord, that's why I'm here praying and fasting. I'm crying out to you, Lord God. This is how much we need you. We're, we're humbling ourselves. You have all the power. We're the needy ones. We're crying out to you. It's beautiful to let fasting humble ourselves. And the second purpose is to seek answers from God. Ezra led them to pray to seek from him a safe journey. We want to seek answers from God. Every time in the Bible, when God's people fast and pray together, God moves with great power. He brings breakthroughs. He changes hearts. He gives wisdom. He pours out his spirit. He strengthens faith. Every time God's people fast and pray together, God moves. He may not do exactly what we're asking him to do. He may, but he may not. Remember Matthew 7, read, read that passage, 7 through 11. He will always either give us exactly what we're asking for or something even better even better, which we would not have otherwise received. But he will always move with great power when God's people come together to fast and pray. 
An illustration I found helpful for me is prayer without fasting is like, I mean, how powerful do you think it is? Maybe like a hundred megatons of power. Okay. It's a lot of power. Prayer without fasting is very powerful. 100 megatons. Well, how about prayer with fasting? Maybe 115, 120 megatons? I don't know, but you get the idea. Don't think that, well, if you can't fast, it's not worth praying because it's only prayer with fasting that's powerful. That's not true. Prayer without fasting is very powerful. And prayer with fasting is even more powerful. Now, it's not because prayer with fasting earns anything from God. This is really important for us to understand. It's not because it earns anything from God. It does not. Even like my best moments of prayer and fasting, and I think this is true for all of us, my best moments have enough um, sinful motives, unbelief, to, to, if God was going to respond to me with what I earned, he'd be walking away. Okay? That's just the truth. Because this side of heaven, we're never free from sin. So then, why would God move with such power when we fast and pray? There's one reason why. Jesus Christ. Because he on the cross paid for all of our sins of impure motives and unbelief. We should never settle for them. We should hate them and fight them and resist them and confess them and battle against them. But this side of heaven will never be free from them, which is why we love Jesus. We cling to our Savior. We cling to the cross. It's because of Jesus paying for those impure motives and that unbelief that God can promise, he can mercifully promise to respond to our undeserving fasting with great power with significant breakthroughs. That's why prayer with fasting has such power. Because of Jesus, in his mercy, God promises to reward our undeserving fasting and prayer with great breakthroughs, great outpouring of power. That's what happened in Antioch. Because of Jesus, in his mercy, what God did for these leaders in Antioch gave them an amazing breakthrough. And it was because of Jesus and because of his mercy, but they had a great breakthrough. And that's what will be true for us as well. Because of Jesus in his mercy, that's what God will do for us as we're fasting and praying tomorrow, this week. So think of us gathering together tomorrow, those who are able to. And again, if you can't fast, join us anyway. But there we are, we're fasting, we're praying before God. We don't know exactly what God will do, but there will be breakthroughs. There will be gospel advances. There will be power poured out. His presence will meet us. He will come. He will work in amazing ways. He promises because of Jesus, to his glory, to his honor. But now these leaders in Antioch didn't just worship and fast. They also prayed. They prayed, fasted and prayed some more, and then they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul. Not sure exactly how they prayed for them, but I think it's probable that they prayed for things like, Lord, fill them with more of your Holy Spirit. We're laying hands on them now. Fill them, Lord, right now with more of your Holy Spirit, more of your gifting, more of your power. Give them even more boldness in evangelism. They're going to places where people have never heard, heard the gospel before. God, give them courage, give them strength. 
God, help them share the word of the cross clearly. And Lord, as they preach, as they share the good news of Jesus, change hearts. Grant repentance. Give people faith in Christ. Pour out your salvation. And you know what? That's exactly what happens. Acts 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Read about it. That's exactly what God does. Breakthrough takes place. Worship, fasting, prayer. Massive turning point in the book of Acts. A massive escalation in the advance of the gospel takes place after chapter 13. So, brothers, sisters, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? One reason Luke explains what happens in Antioch is because he wants us to understand what we should do. What we should do. We need breakthroughs, Grace Church. I mean, again, God, what God has been doing here is glorious. I am so, so thankful. But we want more. We need more. And God has more. And I want us to pursue more. There's more for us. We need more love for Christ, don't we? I do. You do. We need more. More passion for Jesus' glory, we need. More power over sin. Oh, Lord, this week, pour out your sin-breaking power. We want to see more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ here in this city, in Abu Dhabi. Wouldn't you love having dozens of baptisms taking place every month? Let's ask God to do that. He's done that sort of, read the book of Acts, 3,000 in one day in Jerusalem. What could God do here in Abu Dhabi? His power has not lessened since the book of Acts, friends. We want to see home groups planted. Reem Islands, Al Reef, between the bridges, every neighborhood. We're praying for Arabic-speaking churches to be planted here in this city. There are some already. We need many more. We're praying for Urdu-Hindi-speaking churches to be planted here. There are some. We want to see many more. We want to see English-speaking and other churches planted here in the city. We want breakthroughs to take place here in our own lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our church, in our city. We need breakthroughs. And that's why we're having a week of prayer. That's why we're fasting and praying tomorrow. And that's why we're going to continue seeking the Lord in prayer through the rest of this week. Because we need breakthroughs. And just like we read in Acts chapter 13, when we worship and fast and pray, God will bring breakthroughs. Let's stand together. I want to pray. Lord, as we embark on this prayer week, I ask that you would strengthen us, give us grace, work in our hearts. We want to glorify your name. We want to see your power overcoming the powers of darkness, overcoming unbelief, overcoming the lies of the enemy that are all around us. We want to see the gospel impacting, spreading, saving, freeing, blessing, O oh Lord.
We give ourselves to you. Come and work with great power during this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.